Hello and welcome to the last in my series of talks in Ezra. We've been doing Ezra in church and this last one is recorded just on my own with Richard because we're going to be continuing in John on both a Sunday and in our videos as well. So Ezra, what's the story? How do we get to and how are we going to finish it off? If you remember, if you've been following the other series, uh, other sermons that are recorded in church and are alive on our YouTube channel, you know that Zerubbabel returns miraculously to Jerusalem, which has been ransacked, and he's given permission to rebuild the temple. And they begin to do that. There are lots of setbacks. It takes a number of years, but they do it. They rebuild the temple and they dedicate it with great joy. That's when Ezra arrives. So quite late on in the book, chapter 7, before Ezra actually appears. But he comes as a priest. He comes to lead the community in Jerusalem that have rebuilt the temple. And in one of our previous studies, we looked at who Ezra was, how he knew Scripture really well. And because of that, he was successful. He prioritized obedience to Scripture. And therefore, it says that God's hand was on him. And we're just going to fly through the last few chapters and try and summarize what happens. There's quite a bit of repetition, um, but there are some key points I want to bring out. So Ezra is about to return to Jerusalem. And uh, chapter 7, verses 11 to 27, tells us that the king of Persia at that time gives Ezra a letter to validate his return. Now, this is similar to the other letters from Cyrus and Darius. Uh, it's a remarkable turn of event that such a tiny religion, such a tiny nation is given permission and survives to this day. Whatever we think about the people of God, about Israel, about the Jewish faith, it is remarkable that it survives. It's the only religion of that period and that time that survives. It's an incredible story that this tiny little group of people are given permission to rebuild the temple. And in verse 27, he says, because the hand of the Lord was on me, which we looked at uh, previously, I. Now, what does he do? What is his first response? He's been given this letter to go back to um, Jerusalem to lead the community there. What does he do? Well, he gathers a team. I gathered leaders from Israel to go up with me. And I want to look at this desire of Ezra to build a team. What is teamwork? Why is this important for him? Why, isn't he, why are we told then about his need to gather leaders? And if you know me, you'll know that my, uh, one of my desires was that, that the role I have would be labeled as a team ministry. And so my job description is team leader. I don't really like it as a title. I'm just Donald. That's my title. My title is Donald. But my role is to lead a team. And so you will know that teamwork is really important and crucial to me. I really believe that the purposes of God are accomplished through teamworking. If you look in the New Testament, which is our model for church life and for leadership, you will see that it's all about teams, 12 disciples, groups of elders, uh, the fivefold ministry. It's all about teamwork. And one of the great tragedies of contemporary leadership is there's a sort of one-person model, the idea that one priest, one vicar, one minister can lead a church and everything revolves around them. I think that's fundamentally unbiblical. See, God's gifts reside in different people. Corinthians tells us the model of being the body of Christ, where one of us may be an eye, one of us an ear, one of us... Uh, um, a belly button or a kneecap. The point is that we're different, but that together 
we create the body of Christ, that we need one another, and that other people have the gifts intentionally, by God's purpose and design, other people have the gifts that I don't have and that you don't have, and that together we represent the fullness of Christ. It is together that we represent all of God's purposes, his love and his nature. And that we learn through others. Wisdom comes from different people. That no one person is infallible, has the authority, has the complete understanding and the complete perspective. And God resides in these different gifts with wisdom coming through other people. And this creates humility. That God has designed his people uh, on one hand to be his representatives and on the other hand to need each other. So you've got these two things working in harmony. We are God to the world. that We are the hands and the feet of Christ, but only when we work together, only in unity, only in teamwork, only in community, only in church. And God loves this diversity. He loves the fact that we're different. He doesn't want every human being to be the same. You only have to look at our outward appearance to recognize how God wants everybody to be unique. And therefore, our inward gifting is equally unique and specially shaped. And it's together when we work in relationship that we model God's love. Relationship is key. The way we live and the way we work with other Christians is crucial to the sharing of our faith. In a recent John study, I looked at where Jesus says, "This by if you love one another, people will know that you are my disciple. So Ezra sets about building teams. And we're going to look at what that meant. In chapter uh, 8, verses 1 to 14, he gives the names of leaders. And he says in verse 15, that I assemble them at the canal that flows from Ahwa. And we camped there for three days. And when I checked among the people and the priests, I found no Levites there. So he identifies what's missing. He, to build his team, he starts off by saying, well, who's not here? What gifting isn't here? How do I recruit that? How do I add to that? And in verses 17 to 20, he recruits a number of priests. And uh, then in verse 21, we read that he proclaims a fast so that we might humble ourselves. So having identified what was missing, the second thing he does in team building is to model a dependence on God. He's saying to his team, his recruits, the leaders that he's gathered, he is saying, we have to rely on God. We're not going to do this in our own strength. We're not going to do this through our own abilities. We're going to do this through dependence on God. And it was important for them to set that out in the fast, to say, to deny their desire to eat and be comfortable and to focus their minds on saying, we need Jesus. And then the next part of his team building is an interesting part in verse 22 of chapter 8. He says, I was ashamed to ask the king for soldiers and horsemen to protect us from the enemies on the road because we had told the king the gracious hand of our God is on everyone who looks to him. In other words, he says, I didn't dare ask the king for soldiers because I'd already told the king that God would be with us. And that seems to me to be the next part of his leadership, of Ezra's leadership in building the team. He's honest. He's honest about what he feels, and he's honest about his vulnerability, about what he uh, is ashamed to ask, where the embarrassment that he feels, that he perhaps overstated 
or he's wondering if he overstated that God was with them and that perhaps he regrets it and wished that he'd played down that God was with them so that he could ask the king for some um, uh, soldiers. Why would they need soldiers? Because they were carrying huge amounts of gold and uh, possessions that had been returned to them to take back to the temple. So he doesn't ask the king for help. He prays to God. He's honest with his team about the problem. He's open on us. Sometimes leaders try to hide the difficulties. Now, some of us will be in leadership positions, whether this is at work, or maybe in family life or community life. Or sometimes we are in leadership in the church. Others of us will be part of a team and we will be wondering how, what kind of leadership are we looking for from others. And this sense of honesty, of being, admitting mistakes, admitting fears, admitting difficulty is really important. And in all our relationships, it's important to be able to admit what we're struggling with, what we perhaps feel we might have got wrong. If we're going to represent Christ together as a team, there needs to be an awareness of our own mistakes, our self-awareness, rather than hiding it and covering it, and being able to share with others what we feel we may have got wrong. Anyway, in 8 chapters 24 to 36, the treasures are allocated to different people for the journey. So he splits it all up to make it safer. And they travel and there are no attacks. And when they get to the end, all the treasure is accounted for. Because he had trusted people with these different, well, uh, different treasures, he, there was a danger perhaps that people could have pocketed it and run off with the money. But he, he gave responsibility. He said, look, I want you to look after this bit of gold or this um, goblet or whatever it was. He trusted his team and they delivered. They didn't uh, run off and abscond with the treasure. And now, so we move on into chapter 9. After these things had been done, the leaders came to me and said, the people of Israel, including the priests and the Levites, have not kept themselves separate from the neighboring people with their detestable practices like those of the Canaanites and the other religions. What he was saying is, what was being said to him was that the, the, the people uh, there had not uh, kept the commands of God and rather, they had joined in with the other practices, some of which were abusive to children and abusive to women and were corrupt. They had joined in with these detestable practices. They had built relationships. They had married and taken on the religions and the practices of the community. And so the next thing that Ezra does in his team building is demand integrity. He's highlighting what has gone wrong, where there has been an element of hypocrisy, where they have said one thing, but in practice done another. Uh, he tells us that the leaders and officials had led the way in this unfaithfulness, that the, people, that the, the leaders had renounced on God. They'd said with their lips they were following God, but their practice had been to follow other gods. And that had led them into not a lifestyle of love, but a lifestyle of exploitation. And, God, and Ezra was calling them back and he was demanding integrity of them. They were to live a lifestyle of love, not exploitation. And he, he highlights what's wrong. So part of his leadership and his team building is to identify where there has been hypocrisy, where there has been an inconsistency, where they have not matched that which they said they believed in. 
And then in verse 5 of chapter 9, then I took some of their daughters, uh, sorry, then at the evening sacrifice, I rose from my self-abasement. He, he humbles himself and cries out to God. And I fell on my knees with my hands spread out to the Lord my God and prayed, I am too ashamed and disgraced. Now remember, he hasn't done this. But the mistakes of his team, he owns as his own. He doesn't blame others and say, uh, it wasn't my fault. He doesn't try to cover his own uh, trail and say, I'm not to do, nothing to do with me. No, he enters into his team and he owns the pain and the mistakes and the failures of his team. That's quite a remarkable leadership trait, to not uh, uh, abandon folks when they make mistakes, but to identify with them and to own his own part of poor leadership, perhaps. And so he confesses to God, verses 6 to 15 of chapter 9, is a full-long confession that he cries out to God. So at the beginning of chapter 10, after he's finished praying, we read these words. While Ezra was praying and confessing, weeping and throwing himself down before the house of God, a large crowd of Israelites, men, women and children, gathered around him. They too wept bitterly. Then Shekinah, son of Jehiah, one of the descendants of Adam, said to Ezra, we have been unfaithful to our God by marrying foreign women from the people around us. But in spite of this, there is still hope for Israel. Now let us make a covenant before our God. And then he says to Ezra, interesting words, he says, rise up, this matter is in your hands, we will support you, so take courage and do it. So Ezra rose up and put the leading priests and Levites and all Israel under an oath to do what had been suggested, and they took the oath. Ezra's leadership allows those who are beneath him, who he's leading, to encourage him and to tell him what to do. He's open with his confession and his pain and his hurt and perhaps his despondency. And his own people say, Ezra, rise up. Have the courage to do this. Lead us. Sometimes we think leadership is hiding weakness and not allowing anyone who we lead to correct us or to speak into us. But Ezra models something quite profound and powerful. So Ezra allows himself to be strengthened, encouraged, and fortified by his own team. He's not too proud. He's not too... um, uh, What's the word I'm looking for? He's not creating a mask, an image. He's not hiding who he is so that no one can speak in. He's open about who he is. And because of that, the team strengthen and equip him. And so we read in the last of chapter, chapter 10, that he leads this time of corporate repentance. And then the book ends with a list of names, the list of the guilty, those who had compromised. So what do we learn about team building? We want to say that team is really important to God's kingdom, that we need to identify and recognize the missing gifts, pray into and perhaps appoint and find people who have the skills and the abilities and the gifts that we don't have. That we model a dependence on God, whatever part we have in a team, that we show that it's not the team, but it's our relationship with God. And that together we are honest uh, about our vulnerabilities and our difficulties. But we give 
trust and responsibility. We allow other people to do and to grow. We demand integrity for them, but we own responsibility when they get it wrong. We don't throw them under the bus. But we make sure that we don't partner with different values. But rather, we allow the team to teach us and to help us to grow upwards. So team building. The purposes of God are accomplished through team working. God's gifts reside in different people and wisdom comes through others. And this humility, a dependence on each other is God's purposes because God loves diversity. And that's how we model Jesus. So, questions for reflection. Who are we building team with? Or are we a loner who needs to come back to community? Are we part of a team, whether it's at church or work or in the community uh, or family? Are we a team player? Or are we someone doing it all in our own strength and resisting honesty and vulnerability? What gifts in others do we need to fulfill God's calling on us. In other words, to do what God has asked us to do, who do we need? Or do we think we can do it all in our own and our own strength? Where is it that God says, look, you need to work with that person. You need to allow that person's strength to match your weakness. Don't hide or cover up your weakness, but allow others to step in. And so finally, where do we need to exhibit honesty, vulnerability, and our need of others? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, will you help us to be people who work in teams, groups of disciples, your church, whatever it is to be your body. Will you help us to allow others to compensate for us? Forgive us when we try to do everything on our own, in our own strength. Help us to be people who recognize the value and gifting of others and work together with them to build your kingdom. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.